Matthew chapter 12, if you have your Bibles. Matthew chapter 12. I got it on this week, Hunter. Yeah, He was by there pulling on his shirt last week, and I just thought he was hot or something. I never turned my mic on. Um, Matthew chapter 12. I'm going to get to the text in just a minute. <clears throat> I appreciate the praise team letting me sing with them this morning. Because I'll sing words that ain't on the page and sing words that... I make up and sing verses opposite of what they own. And if I close my eyes for too long, I'll ever wind up in your lap, so be careful. I don't ever know where I'm going to wind up at when I get to swaying up here. But anyway, I appreciate those that stepped up this morning and, um, and, and helped out with the, with the music and, and that portion of the service. I told them if we don't find some musicians before next Sunday, y'all may have to, we may have to go that old primitive Baptist route and sing some a cappella hymns and, um, or make it a preaching-only service. I appreciate our musicians, though, that serve. Matthew chapter 12, we're going to get to a text in just a minute. I'm not going to start a new series today, but it did turn into two messages instead of one. I, what started out is what I intended to be just one message. I kind of split it in the middle um, because I kept kind of trying to go two different directions at the same time. And I said the best thing for me to do is to divide the thing up and speak to each side of what I want to share with you in two different sermons. Um, but here's the catalyst for it. I'm, my heart is heavy over the level of, of, of bitterness and division and disunity and vitriol and whatever other words that you want to use um, that is just filling up our, our culture right now. Social media, I will say, uh, hadn't made that any better. In fact, it's, it's compounded it, added, made it a lot worse. Um, and, and while my heart is heavy about that, and concerned about that, I also understand at the same time that there's never really going to be any fellowship between darkness and light. It can't. They don't coexist together. Um, one has to move and for the other one to, um, to, to, to take precedence. And so there, there won't ever be any, any fellowship between the, the darkness of the world and the light of Christ. There'll never be uh, any fellowship between what is an error and what is truth. You can't unite those things. Paul said, you know, is, um, uh, that, that you can't sit at the table of Christ and sit at the table of devils at the same time. You just can't do it. You know, it's those um, two will constantly be um, at enmity with each other. In fact, if you, go, if you look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, which is the first actual... The it's the first promise of the Bible, the first prophecy in the Bible about Jesus. Um, but before the seed of the woman is promised as the Savior, um, there is a statement in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, part of the curse is that I will put enmity between your seed and her seed. Um, I'm going to put enmity between you, Satan, and the woman, and between your seed, Satan, and her seed. And so even in that, in that first promise of the Messiah, there's also that proclamation that there's always going to be enmity between the seed of the enemy, the children of the enemy, and the children of the woman, the children of Eve. There's always going to be that, um, that clash of kingdoms. There's only two kingdoms present in the world. Now, we got a lot of nations, um, a lot of providences, a lot of territories, um, but there are, only, there are really only two true kingdoms at work in the world, and they will never exist together in harmony, and that is the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light, the kingdom of Satan and the kingdom of Christ. They will not, cannot harmoniously coexist. That's the reason in eternity 
they will be forever separated. Um, and, and, and we won't deal with all this disunity and all this, um, uh, the, all this hatred that works. So, with that said, um, the word dichotomy came to mind because I think this is what it is. There is a, there is a divine dichotomy that is in operation in the world today that we need to recognize and understand it be aware of it so that we can learn to work inside of that dichotomy. And, 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 uh, dichotomy. There, there is a separation. I'm going to call it, this is going to be next week's message, Lord willing. There is a separation that actually saves us. That, that pulls us away from that kingdom of darkness, that kingdom of error. There is a separation that saves us. And I'm going to refer to it like this. It is, a, it is a division and disunity that works for our spiritual life and health. And I'm going to get into a whole lot more detail about that next week. I'm going to kind of take this in reverse order than I'm giving them to you right now. But there is a need for us to come out and be separate in areas um, in order that we can have spiritual life and spiritual health. And that separation that saves... I believe, is ordered and ordained by God. Um, that we have to do that in order to bring God glory and in order for, for us to have God's temporal and eternal good at work in our life. And then there's the other side of that dichotomy, which is there is also a division that destroys. And these two are working at the same time in the world today. Um, there's a separation that's necessary that's ordered and ordained by God. It's a saving separation. But then there's also a division at work in the world today that destroys. It is a disruption that is working against our spiritual life and health. And it is, unlike that separation that saves, this is ordered and ordained by Satan himself. And his purpose in that is to oppose and hinder the work of God in the world, to hinder and, and dim the glory of God in the world that's being reflected in His people. Now I hope before the service is over today you'll see where I'm headed with both of those subjects in that dichotomy. But let me start with that last one, the division that destroys, and then next week, Lord willing, we'll talk about that first one. I want to start by just looking at an incident in the life of Jesus in Matthew uh, chapter number 12, beginning in verse 22. The Bible says, Then was brought unto him, that's Jesus, <clears throat> one possessed with a devil, blind and dumb. And he healed him, insomuch that the blind and dumb both spake and saw. And all the people were amazed and said, Is not this the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, This fellow doth not cast out devils, but by Beelzebub the prince of the devils. And Jesus knew their thoughts and said unto them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. And every city or house divided against itself shall not stand. And if Satan cast out Satan, he is divided against himself. How shall then his kingdom stand? And if I by Beelzebub cast out devils, by whom do your children cast them out? Therefore they shall be your judges. But if I cast out devils by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come unto you. Or else how can one enter into a strong man's house and spoil his goods except he first bind the strong man? 
and then he will spoil his house. Verse 30 is an important part of this text because this is a, a summary. He that is not with me is against me. And he that gathereth not with me scattereth abroad. Now let me, I just want to walk through this text real quick. And this is just kind of um, more just an exposition of what we're seeing in the text. And then get to the heart of what I want to talk to you about. Um, first thing you notice is the condition of the man that was brought to Jesus. The Bible said he was possessed with the devil. He was blind and he could not speak. He was, he was blind and the, the King James used the word dumb, which is a politically incorrect term. Um, it literally means mute. He could not speak. Whether or not that means he also could not hear, I don't know. But he was possessed by a devil, blind, and he could not speak. By the way, everybody in this world that does not know the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Savior is possessed by the devil, by the devil, blind to spiritual truth, and cannot sing the praises of God until he comes to Christ. All right? We have to bring the world to Jesus for their healing. They'll never sing His praise. They'll never see His truth. They'll never dispossess their lives of the devil until they come to Jesus. In fact, the Bible says this about all of us in Ephesians chapter 2, that we were all once children of the darkness ourselves, and that we walked according to the prince of the power of the air, the same spirit that now works in the children of disobedience. We walked according to um, the will and whim of the devil in our life. I know we don't like to think about ourselves like that, but that's who we were before we came to Christ. So there's the condition of the man. But when they brought him to Jesus, the Bible just simply says, He healed him, the conquest of Christ, victorious immediately in this man's life. The devil got kicked out. Light entered his eyes, possibly for the first time in his whole life. And I, I, I don't, it didn't say this in the text, but I have no doubt in my mind that when Jesus came onto the scene in this man's life and brought that great conquest over the enemy, um, that his lips also sang the praises of the one that had just healed him. So here you have a man one minute possessed by the devil, blind, could not speak. The next minute, just by the word of Jesus, he was healed. Uh, he could uh, see, maybe for the first time. He could praise, maybe for the first time. And anybody that comes to Christ in faith is saved to the uttermost. The old man has become something brand new. What you never saw before, you see. What you were never able to sing before, you can sing. Um, what the, what, what, whatever bondage the enemy held in your life is broken when you come to Christ. And then notice the consideration of those people. They notice what happened. And they immediately... The Bible used the word astonished. They were, they, they, they were amazed at what went on. And they said, could this be the son of David? And you understand that in the Jewish vernacular, um, they were looking for the Messiah who was called in the Old Testament the son of David. So they were literally asking the question of themselves, could this be, could this man be the Christ that was promised? The, the evidence of changed lives. They saw what happened and were astounded by it to the point that they said, could, could this man that just brought healing, that just brought um, release from the devil, that just brought sight to his eyes, that just brought speech to his lips, could this be Jesus? The evidence of changed lives 
is one of the most undeniable evidences in the world today that Jesus is who he said he is and is capable of doing what he said he could do. The strongest sermon you'll ever preach is what Christ has done in your life. It'll make people back up and say, what happened to him? And, the, and, then the, the, and then the identity that you have found in Christ begins to put the question in their heart. So is this Jesus? Is he? Is it really him that made a difference? I, I believe that one of the most incredible um, conversion experiences in all the Bible is the conversion of Saul of Tarsus. The impact that Saul made on the world was directly related to they knew who he was. They knew what he was going to do when he went to Damascus. He thought it his business to destroy the church. And so one day he is, he is persecuting, dragging Christians out of their home, witnessing them being stoned to death and consenting into it. And the next day he's preaching the same Jesus that he was persecuting people. And I mean they were asking the question, is this really Saul? And what changed in him is... An encounter with Christ. And so, you know, I'm, I'm going to go further down this road next week. That's where separation, that's where the distinction is important. The world needs to see the difference that Christ has made in our life because it will make them pause and give consideration to who Jesus is and what he's capable of. And then you run into that controversy of the Pharisees. Now, they couldn't deny the miracle. They couldn't deny what had happened. It had happened. It was obvious. Everybody that was there was astounded at what happened. They couldn't just outright say this ain't no miracle. So what they did was falsely attributed the miracle. They said he, what he just did, um, he did not, not in heaven's name, not in God's name. He did it in the name of the prince of the demons, Beelzebub. And there's, you know, I could, I could get, um, dig into that a little bit, but... Um, suffice it to say, but I believe that word is representative of Satan or at least the prince of Satan's dominion. So instead of outright denying Jesus, they said he's doing what he's doing uh, in the name of the prince of demons. They were blinded by self-righteousness. And so literally what they're accusing Jesus of doing is working in allegiance with the devil. Um, this ain't the first time that accusation has come up. Um, in, in Matthew 9, it's the first time Jesus answered it, but not the first time it came up. In Matthew 9, 34, after they had also brought a, a man possessed with a demon who could not speak to Jesus, Jesus worked the same kind of miracle. Um, but the Bible said in, in that 34th verse that the Pharisees said then, He is casting out devils through the prince of the devils. In, in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 25, um, he's warning his disciples. He's saying, um, it's enough for the disciple that he be his master and to serve it as his Lord. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more shall they call them of his household? So this has already come up twice, but this is the first time Jesus stepped up and offered a defense to the accusation. Um, it was not a new accusation. They kept saying it over and over. Now you know the old adage, if you repeat a lie long enough, People began to believe it. If you tell a lie yourself long enough, you can begin to believe it. This is not a new accusation, but it's one that they hope starts taking root and people begin to believe. And, and listen to me very carefully because this is where we're going to start turning the corner on this and get to that main subject. 
the devil was doing his very best using these spiritual, these religious, I should say, Pharisees to insert some deception in order to stir some division. Namely about who Jesus was and whose name he was working in. That was their way of disputing and discounting not only the miracle itself, but the identity of the one that performed the miracle. Now, Jesus was cognizant of everything that was going on. They didn't even have to say what they were going to say. He knew what they were thinking. The Bible said, in fact, in those, uh, in those words, that he knew their thoughts and he responded to their accusations. And, and, and you look in those next few verses, he, this is basically how he defended. He said, if the devil is working against himself and his own house and his own kingdom, then that kingdom is going to fall. Your accusation makes no sense whatsoever because you know, we know, everybody knows. This is common sense. If you get a house divided against itself, that house is headed for a fall. If you get a, a kingdom divided against itself, that kingdom is headed for a disaster. So he's just basically saying, what you accuse me of makes no sense whatsoever. Satan wouldn't be working against himself. And then the second clarification is, your own people also have cast out demons. Now apparently there were people in the Jewish faith that, um, in fact this is Old Testament and New Testament, you can read this. They would bring folks to them who were demon possessed and um, because of their faith in God and the promises of His Word, they were able to cast out demons. They were able to perform exorcisms. And so Jesus just kind of tossed the ball back in their lap and said, if you're accusing me of casting out demons and the prince of demons, then who are they casting out demons in the name of? And He basically said, go make the same accusation against them that you've made against me, and they'll judge you for what you said. And then the third point He made is this. You can't throw out somebody that's stronger than you. If, if you're going to bind the strong man and spoil his house, you've got to be stronger than the strong man. And so he's saying, if, if I have ejected the demonic possession out of this man's life, then the obvious thing is that I'm stronger than the demon that possessed the man. Only somebody that is greater than Satan could actually and successfully bind him and spoil his victory in someone's life. And that's what he did. He cast Satan out, healed the man's eyes, healed the man's tongue. He not only throwed Satan out, but he spoiled the residence that he had taken up in that man's life. And the conclusion of that whole matter is in that, 12th, in that 30th verse of chapter 12 when Jesus summarized it and said, those who are not with Christ are working against Him. Now that was, that was a pointed accusation at the Pharisees. You are not working with me. You are not working for me. You're working against me. They're working in allegiance with the one they accused Christ of working for. Now, I'm going to shift your thoughts to another passage of Scripture. Mark chapter 9. Go to Mark chapter 9. 
that statement that Jesus made in chapter 12, verse 30, he said it a different way in Mark chapter 9. And, 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 and that, in that 30th verse, he said, if, if you're not with me, you're working against me. But look at Mark chapter 9. And I'm going to begin in verse 30 just because I want you to see the whole context. Jesus came to Capernaum and being in the house, he asked them, which is his disciples, what is it that you disputed among yourselves by the way? They're divided. They're arguing with each other. And, and, and the Bible said they held their peace. They didn't want to tell Jesus what was going on. They held their peace for by the way, as they had walked along, they were disputing among themselves who should be the greatest. Which one of us is most important? Which one does Jesus give the most authority to? Which one of us is doing the most good? Which one of us has the most power? They were ashamed to even admit they were arguing about that. The Bible says Jesus sat down and called the twelve and said unto them, If any man desire to be first, the same shall be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child and set him in the midst of them, and when he had taken him in his arms, he said unto them, Whosoever shall receive one of such children in my name, receiveth me. And whosoever shall receive me, receiveth not me, but him that sent me. And then John, I think John's reading into what Jesus is saying. He's, he's getting a hold of this spiritual truth that Jesus is proclaiming to him. But he's got a question that's going to provide some clarity. John said, Master, we saw one casting out devils in thy name. And he followed not us. And we forbade him because he followed not us. He wasn't part of our group, Jesus. He wasn't part of the twelve. He wasn't part of the crowd that's been following us around from city to city. He was casting out demons. John's implying that, yeah, demons were getting gone. And, and he was doing it in your name. But we told him to stop. Because he's not part of our group. Listen to Jesus' answer. Forbid him not. For there is no man which shall do a miracle in my name that can lightly speak evil of me. And then listen to the, the, the subtle variation of what he said in chapter 30 concerning the Pharisees. Now he's saying this to his disciples. For he that is not against us is on our part. In other words, he that is not against us is for us. Jesus is rebuking his own disciples for working against him. Now, how were they working against him? Because they were forbidding this man to cast out devils in Jesus' name because he wasn't part of their group. Now he says to his disciples, if you don't rebuke him, don't forbid him, because if he is not working against me, he is working with me, for me, with you, with us, and for us. 
So let me make a transition here and, and make something very clear to you. If you're confused at this point, I hope from the rest of the service you're on board with me. Satan's kingdom is not divided. It is not divided. Satan is not working against himself. It is working in unity against the advance of Christ's kingdom. Satan isn't working against himself, but the, but the reality of the matter is the division that is aiding the enemy is the division that exists within the body of Christ. That is the division that destroys. That's the division that obscures the glory of Christ and hinders the purpose of the church in the earth, which is to advance the gospel. So in other words, when there's division in the body of Christ, when there's division among the people of God, remember what Jesus said. What did you rebuke that man for? He's not working against us. He's working, he's, he's working with us. He's working for us. It's, it's, and so remember this, when we, begin to, when we begin to have a division within the kingdom of Christ, among the body of Christ, all we're doing is aiding and abetting Satan. All we're doing is playing into his deception. When we fight among ourselves about who's doing it better, or who is better, or who is right, or who is wrong, we are actively working in opposition to the Lord Jesus' prayer in John chapter 17, verse 21, when he prayed for all those that believed in the words of the apostles, uh, of the witness of the apostles about who he was and what he did. Jesus prayed, I want them to be one, just like you and I, Father, are one. I want you, like you are in me and like I am in you, I want them to be one in us so that the world can know that you sent me. So when there's division in the body of Christ, it destroys the church's ability to declare the glory of God among the nations and advance the kingdom of God. So here, let me boil it all down to the application for you. Would you agree with me that the church is losing ground in our nation? Man, we're backing up. We ain't moving forward. There are very few churches right now. Well, listen to me. I'm, I'm serious. Zion Hill is blessed, and we're an anomaly. And I don't know why that is. I honestly don't. I don't take any credit for it. I don't want any glory for it. Give God the glory for all of it. I don't know why. Because across the board, if you look at the numbers in church attendance and in church giving, there are churches closing all over our country right now because people are not there anymore. Of, of, uh, the churches in our little bitty association, 11 churches, um, we have as many members in our church as all 11, and I'm not, I'm not saying this to be boastful in that sense, but we've got churches in our association, used to be strong churches that are down to 8 to 10 members right now. And among those 8 and 10, they're fighting each other about money in the church. We're losing ground. Numerically, we're losing ground. Uh, in, in, the, in, the, in the sphere of influencing our culture, we're losing. We're losing the battle to influence our culture. The gospel is, is not advancing. And I want you to understand this. It ain't because the devil is stronger. 
It ain't never been because the devil was stronger. It's because the church has turned against itself. And when we turn against ourselves within the kingdom of Christ, we, we have turned against Christ's purpose in us and for us. Now, I'm going to make it very clear to you in the next few minutes what I'm talking about. I'm just going to, and you can probably think of more. I'm just going to hit these because I think it's the highlight of what we're fighting about and what we're criticizing each other about and what we're belittling and berating each other over. Denominationalism is killing the church in America. Now, I'm not opposed to denominations, and I want to say that up front. I am not opposed to a denominational affiliation. Because I think at the end of the day, we got to gather ourselves with like-minded believers or there's going to be confusion and division within every individual church body. Paul said to the Corinthian church, before he got into all of their problems, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, he said, first of all, I want you, when you get together, I want you to all learn how to speak the same thing. You can't come into this place teaching all kind of different doctrines because you, all you do is insert confusion and disunity, and that's the work of the devil. God is not the author of confusion. So you can't come into the same building every week and promote every kind of doctrine. If you're going to gather as a local church, you need to have unity. I think denominations are good in the sense that it gives a group of churches that have a common mindset about certain things to pool their resources and support foreign missions. I think that's good. Or other major, like colleges and things of that nature. But other than that, um, denominationalism goes amok when we start dividing ourselves up and creating division and bickering over non-essential, trivial doctrines. And can I tell you this morning, they ain't none of us got it all right. God's bigger than my finite mind can wrap itself around. I'm a member of a group on Facebook, and honestly, I don't ever even comment because all those folks will think I'm just a pure idiot. Man, they, they are constantly talking about the sovereignty of God and the free will of man. And some of these fellas actually think they got God all figured out and how he knows what's going to happen next and whether he caused it or, or just permitted it or or, or gave man actually the ability to... They got it all figured out. And I'm thinking, man, I'd hate to live in that place where I think God is so small that I've completely wrapped my mind around Him. Because I'm, I'm going to tell you, I'm stuck at square one when it comes to God. I'm stuck at square one. That one little point that God is eternal, that He didn't have a beginning, that He's just always been. I can't wrap my mind around that. I can't, there ain't no way I can fathom that. Everything I look at had a beginning, but God, I don't comprehend it, but I believe it. I don't have to comprehend it. I ain't got to rack my brain trying to figure out how that can be true. I just read the Word, and that's what it says, and I accept it as such. I believe that every Christian denomination that has the essentials of Christ and who He is and what He did for us, and listen to me, it, when, it, when you boil it all down, it comes down to this. There's one God. He has revealed Himself to us in Father, Son, and Spirit. That's another one of them things that I can't explain. I can't wrap my mind around. But I believe in the Trinity. I believe in the Trinitarian nature of God. God the Father sent His Son to be the satisfaction for our sin. God became flesh and dwelt among us in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
lived a sinless life, died a sacrificial death, substituted himself for us on the cross, was crucified there, was buried in a borrowed tomb. Three days later, he arose victorious over death, hell, and the grave. And we are saved by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, not by our works, but by his works. And only by our faith in him have we been connected to the grace of God that saves us. That makes us brothers and sisters in Christ with a whole bunch of people that we don't see eye to eye on on some other issues. Some of us is wrong about some things. But i got to ask the question, can we just rally around Jesus? I meet with a group of men every Wednesday morning that are all over the place with some of our distinctives. Brother Bill Mullis and I are best friends. And he is, he is a, a, a classical reformed Calvinist. The predestination is what we mostly associate. I, I, I found out in my friendship with him, um, everything that they, that they adhere to is not exactly what we think that they adhere to. We, we, we build straw man arguments against each other and tear them down. And Brother Bill and I have had some good discussions about it. And here's the conclusion we came to one day, is that we enjoy our fellowship. And I see the Spirit of God in him. I see the fruit of the Spirit being manifested in his life as he does me. And at the end of the day, we came to this conclusion, the only way I'm getting to heaven is because of what Jesus did for me on the cross. And Brother Bill agrees with that completely. And so that makes us brothers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Can we just rally around Jesus? Who He is and what He did? Leave the rest of the stuff for Him to sort out. Um, I'm, I don't try to get up here every week and pick apart every other, every other denomination's doctrine because i got friends that are part of all of them, and we disagree about some things. Um, but we agree wholeheartedly about Jesus and who He is and what He's done. They're my brothers. I had to delete a fellow this week who, had, who was a free will Baptist but apparently had some kind of conversion to another, to another doctrine. And this dude, he thinks that there ain't nobody but him in the world that, that does it right anymore. I mean, he's calling all of us false prophets and false teachers and false preachers. And I'm like, I just got to get rid of him because he about made me pull my hair out. He mad at everybody that don't believe just like he does. Denominationalism is killing the church. We got to learn to come together for a common cause, the cause of Christ. And let me tell you something, they ain't fighting this battle on the mission field. I've talked to missionaries. When you go to those foreign mission fields, Africa, um, China, when you go on those foreign mission, uh, mission fields, those missionaries, they might not be reporting back home about it because they don't want their folks getting mad at them. But when they're on the mission field, it ain't Baptist and Methodist and Pentecostal. It's the body of Christ working together. And they're joining themselves together, raising their children together, preaching in villages together, doing things for the kingdom. That's why the gospel is advancing in those parts of the world. And it's going backwards here. Listen, there's some folks mad that our kids went off to camp with sweat memorial kids. Y'all free will Baptists, they Southern Baptists, they ain't got to been. Listen, if we'd sit down and have a decent conversation with each other, you'd figure out they ain't, a, they ain't a, a brown penny's worth of difference in what we believe in and preaching and teaching every week. We're just trying to magnify the differences so that we keep fighting and belittling. Can I tell you, that's the devil doing that. 
denominationalism dividing the church. Racism is dividing the church. There ain't no black church. There ain't no white church. There's just Christ church. We are, the Bible says that we are all made of one blood. Unless you believe that, that blacks or Hispanics or any other race is not fully human, then we are all descendants of Adam and Eve, created in the image of God. The Bible says in the book of Acts that He hath made of one blood all the kingdoms of the earth. We all bleed the same. When they draw blood, they don't mark on it the ethnicity. As far as I know, it'll work for me and for you across the board because He made of one blood. All the nations of the earth. Galatians chapter 3 verse 28 said in the kingdom of Christ there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is no bondman. There is no free man. He went as far as to say in the kingdom of Christ it doesn't matter whether you're a male or a female. Uh, we are all one in Christ. We are equal in Christ. We are in Christ. And that, that, that destroys those barriers of racism that we've raised up among ourselves. The Bible makes it very clear that God is no respecter of persons. And what that means is there are no inferior or superior ethnicities in, kingdom, in the kingdom of God. He's not prouder of white folks than he is black folks. He's not prouder of black folks than he is white folks. We're one in Christ. Period. Now this is going to curl some of your lips. But don't get mad at me. Hear me out. Nationalism. Thinking that because we are Americans, we're more valuable to Christ than every other nation on the face of the earth. Can I tell you that's what the Jews thought? I'm serious. Now, I'm a patriotic American, and I love our country, and I appreciate with everything that is in me the privileges that have been given to us and the men and women who fought and died for us. I'll sing God bless America, and I'll pledge allegiance to the flag. I'm a patriot. I love the principles on which our nation was founded. Um, but we are not superior in the eyes of Christ to the other nations of the world. He told us to go win them. But you look at the Jews in the, in the New Testament. In fact, that was Jesus' beef with the Pharisees. You think because you're Jews. You think just because you are Jewish by birth that you got a special place. And, and his answer to the Pharisees were, don't you know that I could raise up stones and call them children of Abraham? Read the whole book of Galatians. It makes it very clear that all those who are in faith are children of Abraham. Romans makes it clear. Uh, you're not a Jew just because you were born a Jew. You're, you're Jewish. If you want to look at Judaism as being chosen by God, you're, 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 you're a true Jew when you're born again because of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you want to be God's chosen people, it's by faith in Christ. doesn't matter what nation you're a part of. Now, I said that to say this. I think that we ought to value our founding principles. I do not think we should bow at the altar of our broken politics. <clears throat> I ain't trying to hurt nobody's feelings. I ain't trying to offend you. I'm, I'll, be, I'll just be blunt with you. I wish Trump was still our president. 
However, Trump's not my savior. He's not our nation's savior. I believe God can use him. I'm afraid the church has looked more to the president to save us than we have our king. I'm afraid that the bickering that's gone on between the church over these, over these politics has been a tool in the hands of Satan to bring division to the body of Christ, to obscure the glory of God, to stop the advance of His kingdom in our country. And I'm going to be the first one to tell you, I've been guilty of playing into that game. The, according to the Bible, in Revelation chapter 7, verse 9, the kingdom of Christ that was standing before the throne that day consists of a multitude that nobody could number of all nations, kindreds and people and tongues. You know what's standing before the throne. That's the kingdom of Christ. And it supersedes every other kingdom that ever existed on earth. Preeminent over every kingdom that existed on earth. And the last thing, I must, I'm, and, and I'm going to close this thing down. Opinionism. And what I mean by that is that when we get the mindset that any Christian that disagrees with me or you about anything is a lunatic. In the last year and a half, and I, you know what, I'm, 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 I ain't just preaching to you this morning. I'm telling you, I felt I have let the devil get his foot in the door. Do y'all realize that the church has been at war with each other over the last year and a half over masks and vaccines? And whether or not you ought to go to church or not go to church. We, we fought each other about these things. I'm ashamed to admit that I've been drawn in it, into it too many times. And one time's too many. But there's some things that don't matter in the kingdom. They just don't matter. We might try to turn them and, and pull a verse out of context and promote our particular agenda at that time. Reality is, is when we're feuding and fighting among each other about these things. You know, they had, this, they had the problem at Corinth. I would challenge you to go read that book. Paul's like, you guys arguing about who baptized you. You say, I, Peter baptized me. Well, Apollos baptized me. And, and Paul said, you know, I'm glad you baptized, but it don't matter who baptized you. And, and Paul went so far as to say, I'm glad I didn't. He said, you got all this bitter envy and strife among you. Don't that prove that you're carnal and not spiritual? That was the Corinthian church's problem. That's the problem in America today. Is that we're feuding and fussing over non-essential things. Some of which have absolutely nothing to do with spiritual matters. I'm ashamed that I fell into the trap. And I believe Jesus is ashamed too. I, not, and let me hasten to say, I don't believe Jesus is ashamed to call us his children. But I do believe he's ashamed of our behavior.
Y'all ever been lying with your child? No, that's my child. He's mine. I claim him. I ain't, dis- ain't going to disown him. I don't like the way he behaved. Y'all been like that with your kids? I have mine. I think that's the way Jesus is looking at the church in our nation today. Yeah, they ain't my children. But I ain't real happy with the way that they're behaving themselves right now. When we divide ourselves like this, we're working against His work. We're working against His work in us, and we're working against His work through us. Galatians chapter 5, verse 15 says, But if you bite and devour one another, take heed that you be not consumed one of another. That's happening every day. When we talk about separating ourselves, we ought to separate ourselves from worldly ways. We ought to separate ourselves from the devil's deceptions. We ought to separate ourselves from the lust of our own flesh. But we ought not to estrange ourselves from each other by bickering and berating and belittling the people of God just because they're gathered in a different building, just because they don't see eye to eye 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 with us on every little, trivial, non-essential point of doctrine. In a lot of ways, we become just like the Pharisees. And you know what the Pharisees did? They rejected everybody that wasn't just like them. There's one in the Bible that's called the accuser of the brethren, and his name is the devil. And when we we go down this road of accusing the brethren, doesn't that just prove that we have played into his hand. The accuser of the brethren is cast down. Oh, let's help him do the work by joining him in the accusations. So it's one thing to acknowledge that. It's one thing to admit that we've got those problems. It's another thing to repent of it. And when, when I say to repent of it, I mean to stop it. And um, I stumbled across an acronym that another fellow used, and I'm not, I'm not using it verbatim the way he used it, but I'm going to close with this acronym. How do we get a hold of this division that is destroying us? Number one, stop being so quick to judge. A good, a good study of Romans chapter 14 would help all of us. And it basically starts, who, what business is it of you to judge a brother? He, he's got to give an account to his master, and you've got to give an account to your master. What, what, why does it matter to you what day he's, what, what day he's eating on, or, or what he's eating, or what he's drinking, or what day he's worshiping on? What does that matter to you? Stop being so quick to judge. And I'm going to tell you something. Um, God's brought me a long way from where I was when I first started this ministry and he used that Pentecostal preacher across the creek over there Don Musgrove's gone on to be with the Lord to do a work in my heart that left me a different man made me go get involved in that ministerial association I've been a part of for 23, 24 years now where I fellowship with these men on a weekly basis and I can tell you about these men we don't see eye to eye on some things but them boys love Jesus they preach Jesus they do their best to point people to Jesus with their lips and with their lives. We can disagree about those other things. They got Jesus right, and I'm proud to call them my brothers. They, they may worship a little bit different than I do. Um, they, they may have some practices in their church that we don't practice here, but they're my brothers. You know that, and I hate even quoting it because everybody takes it out of context. Matthew 7, 1, judge not that you be not judged. Well, it's clear that there's some judgment that's required in this world. 
And I don't want to get too deep into that, but the, but the second verse in that is a verse that is a warning to us. It, if, you, if, you're going to be, if you're going to be hypercritical, if you're going to be super judgmental of everybody, then just understand this. With what judgment you judge, you shall be judged. With what measure you meet, it'll be measured to you again. Now, let me just ask a question. Do any of us enjoy being judged too quickly or too harshly? Mm -mm. You know what? People jump on the assumption bus and, 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 well, I know what his motives are, make assumptions about why I did this or why I said that, and, and I hate that. Because sometimes it's completely different than what I meant for it to be. But that's what happens when we're too quick to judge. That's what happens when we come out and just and put a title on a book that we've just seen the cover and we had not read the inside. And, and the Bible made it clear that if you run to judgment, then other people are going to run to... If you run to judgment about others, then people are going to run to judgment about you. I had a fellow ask me the other day, and I didn't take offense to it because I get it. He just said, why don't you call your church Zion Hill Free Will Baptist Church? Why, don't, why, do, you, why do I always see you just a, your, your Facebook page? Your, every time you mention it, your, your church page, it just says Zion Hill Church. Are you ashamed to be a Free Will Baptist? I said, I believe, every, I believe the doctrine. But, but, the, but everything that I believe is not summarized in free will and Baptist. Now, if you want me to lay out my whole doctrine in a church title, I'm going to have a long church title. But you know what that says is, if you don't believe everything just like I believe it, then you're not going to be welcome here. We don't give any people any liberty to grow in grace to try to understand those things. I'm going to tell you something. A lot of folks believe free will Baptist means that we can live any way that we want to live. That's what a lot of folks think. Listen, I believe in baptism, but I don't believe baptism saves you. There's some Baptist groups out there that believe it does, in fact, save you. Let me not chase that rabbit. We, we, we get hung up and too judgmental and critical about stuff that don't matter. And I simply told him, in the Bible, it just said the church which is at Ephesus. It just said the church which is at Colossus, the church which is at Thessalonica. I said, this is the church which is at Zion Hill. Whether the church came first or the road came first, I don't know. But we the church at Zion Hill. And yes, I believe man has free will to choose or reject the, the plan of salvation that God has offered to us. And yes, I believe that baptism is the first step of obedience. But I believe a whole lot of other stuff that I ain't got to include in my church title. By the way, some people are trying to do that. <laughs> and it's funny to me to read the name on the church sign. Boy, you got all the bases covered. Stop being so quick to judge. And, 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 and here's one that slaps me in the face. Tame your tongue and your thumb. We speak too quickly of people and stuff that we know too little about. And we accept every invitation to every fight. And we don't have to. It takes more virtue to walk away than it does to engage. And the truth of the matter is, is we're usually not fighting about biblical principles anyway. We're fighting about stuff that don't matter. 
I have fellows this past week just ripped me up and down because I deleted his comment. He sent me a nasty private message. But he used my post, which, which was not meant to be an, uh, um, inflammatory or, or incite anything. It had to do with church. It was, it was a tongue-in-cheek post where I, all I said was, keep your chin up, Pastor Summer will soon be over. And you know what I mean by that. Man, preachers get discouraged during the summertime. Folks are going on vacation, it gets, it gets discouraged. And that was all the post was about. A couple of folks made comments, and, and, and you could take some of those comments any way you want to, but there's one guy that's lit in on another commenter, and I'm like, you know what, I ain't, I ain't going to entertain that. And he jumped to a conclusion. He rushed to a judgment, and all this is fixing to turn into is a, die, a fight in my thread. I just deleted it. It wasn't a minute. Now, we got it settled. After some dialogue between he and I, we, we, we settled it. We were at peace when it was all said and done. But that's what we do. We rush in with our tongue. We rush in with our thumb and fight about stuff at the end of the day that's not going to really make a bit of difference in the long run. The only thing we've done is bite and devour each other. Overflow with mercy and grace. Give to your brothers and sisters what Christ gives to you. James chapter 2 verse 13 says this, For he shall have judgment without mercy that has shown no mercy. Show mercy and grace to your brothers and sisters in Christ. I need you to cut me some slack from time to time because I fail, because I stumble, because I fall. I need you to cut me some slack. I need you to be merciful to me. I need you to be gracious to me. And here's the truth of the matter is you need me to do the same thing for you. And then the last thing is this. Put Jesus in the gospel first. You can say that another way. Let's keep the main thing the main thing. Jesus is the main thing. Everybody that's keeping Jesus as the main thing is brothers and sisters in Christ. Put Jesus in the gospel first. Putting Jesus in the gospel first. Um, if, if you want to change the world, then win the world. The only way the world changes is if the world's won to Christ. We got to make the advance of His kingdom first and foremost. The glory of God revealed in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's our mission. That's what we're ambassadors of. Is to declare to the world that God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself. For He hath made Him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That's our job. That's what He has left us in this world to do. And if we're going to change the world for good, we've got to win the world to Jesus. John chapter 17, verse 23. Continuing that prayer about unity. Talking about the people that would be saved by the witness of the apostles. That's us. I in them, thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one. And the world may know that thou hast sent me. You know what Jesus said in that prayer? If they'll find their unity in me, the world will know that you sent me. The unity of the church in Christ is essential for the world to know Him. Can I tell you the devil knows that? That's the reason he's always trying to insert that division that destroys. It's not destroying the work of Satan. 
It's destroying the mission of the church. And there's nobody to blame but us. And the devil might dupe us every now and then, but when he does and we realize that everything after that is on us. And I don't mind telling you, I need some supernatural help. I need the Holy Spirit to bind the enemy. When he speaks into my ear, when he moves in my life, I need, this, I need the Holy Spirit to bind him up and throw him out. Every single time he tries to creep in my mind, every t single time he tries to come out of, and, and use my lips, every single time um, that he tries to get me to sow discord and disunity among the body of Christ, the brothers and sisters in Christ, I need Jesus to come along and say, uh-uh, uh-uh, get out. We got a house to spoil. And it's his house, the enemy's house. Let's stand together. Sister Pam, if you'll come. Lord, I appreciate your Holy Spirit. I appreciate your word. I appreciate these folks, Lord. I know I'm, I've been long-winded this morning. I had a lot on my heart. Still got a lot on it. I'm really grateful you led me to divide this message in two or we'd be here a long time. God, there's a catastrophe happening in our nation right now. And it ain't COVID. And it ain't masks. And it ain't vaccines. And it ain't the man in the White House. It's the stuff that's going on in your house. It's the stuff that's taking place within the family of God. And I know that you've been ashamed of it. I pray you'd make us ashamed of it. I pray very specifically you'd make me ashamed of it. And God, help us to work for unity. If our nation's going to be delivered, it's going to be because the church collectively looks to Jesus high and lifted up, makes Him the main thing, works together make him known and I pray you'd help us to do that and I pray that you'd start that right here right now just have your will and your way in this invitation and we'll praise you for anything and everything that you do in Jesus name Follow Jesus.